Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. We like to talk about movies, sports, and whatever else we feel like. I'm Pat. And I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. Today we're going to be talking about sports and movies, whatever we feel like. (laughs) (laughs) Owners approve Major League Baseball season proposal. Plan for July. So this is from half a month ago, so trash (laughs) like that's the problem like news is so like weak old news right now it's just um stale (laughs) like if it's not did if it didn't happen in the last like two days then it's it's all out yeah so basically what's happened is that uh owners are basically wanting to keep the season short and wanting to pay the players less and the players are like, that BS, we still deserve, you know, more pay, yada, yada. The problem is it's not being done behind closed doors. Players are tweeting things. Owners are tweeting things. In fact, there are owners that are saying they're completely okay with canceling the season altogether, which is a real problem for, for baseball because baseball does have an image problem mixed with a money problem. Yes. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the image problem is that it's a boring, out-of-date game. That, you know, young people aren't interested in seeing it, and it's harder to get people to get into the stands. And the money problem is they're not getting enough people into the stands, and they're not generating money on TV because of how many games there are. On top of the fact that players are asking for more and more money, and unlike football, there's no salary cap. You know, this is on top of the fact that when these players ask for these astronomical amounts of money, the owners give it to them. Yeah, there's an article here I'm seeing. This, is COVID-19 exposing Major League Baseball players as exploited workers or greedy millionaires? Oh. And pretty sure it's a little bit of both. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, do I feel bad about a greedy millionaire being exploited by a much more greedy millionaire? <laughs> like, does that pull the heartstrings of a middle-class worker? Well, so here's the thing. The greedy millionaire players that we're referring to are, like the, again, much like in professional football, the 2% of the players, like Bryce Harper, or in the case of a character from that used to play for my team, uh, Trevor Bauer. You know, these are guys that are so full of their own that they're so great at, at what they do that they deserve this money. And now you've got, you know, what, well, and then now you've got lower players, you know, rookies and people who are just coming into the league or are just trying to stay, you know, in the league that are okay with getting paid. They just want to keep playing because that's how they get paid. On top of which, these negotiations are killing minor league baseball, the minor league baseball system. It kind of looks like minor league baseball has been canceled already. Oh, it's not only been canceled, but there's going to be tons of guys that never, ever, ever get a chance to make it to the major leagues simply because they got furloughed. They'll never be invited back to those teams. They'll never get a shot to play professional baseball. It's just really sad considering these guys, probably most of these guys who are part of these uh, minor league teams have been playing ball for 20, 30 years. Looking for a shot to get in. Right. Or been told since high school, hey, you're going to, when, as soon as you get through college, you're going to come onto our, our farm system and we're going to raise you up. And as soon as they get there, boom, gone. 
And the fact that you've got the Trevor Bowers, the Bryce Harpers. Now, I'm, I, I say Bryce Harper because he's one of the, I uh, think he's the biggest player right now. Though I haven't actually heard him speak out about it. I've definitely heard Trevor Bauer speak out about it, and that's because he's a particular person. Man, I can't even get to the uh, Rough Rider website. <laughs> like it just site can't be reached. <laughs> maybe the whole, maybe the whole major minor league baseball. No, nope, none of it's working. Dang, that sucks. So there's a real tragedy here in baseball is that it's dying, and it's because of money. Well, it's because everybody got slash is too greedy. And last season is a perfect example why these ultra-rich players do absolutely nothing for their teams, was Bryce Harper wanted 300 or $400 million for 13 years, and as soon as he went to that team that paid him that, the team he just left won the World Series. Yeah. I. Uh, so, I mean, it's this general mentality. It, you know, it's not just sports, really. You know, you have free agency in sports, right? So mm-hmm. nobody has any real, none, especially not the big people, have any real loyalty to whatever team they're on because they could get traded or because they could move on their own behalf as a free agent. But I, I think that's reflective of the culture that we live in now. Well, I think it's, it's baseball in specific because in baseball, the markets have a much, much, much bigger impact on how teams operate. Like one of the biggest things that Indian fans always decry is that the people that own the Indians are cheap. And that for whatever reason, the Cleveland market just doesn't bring in enough money for that team, which is really strange when you consider that this is also the market of the Cleveland Browns who have tremendous amounts of money. And when LeBron James was in Cleveland, he would, the, the, the Cavs could afford to keep LeBron James for five years. You know, okay, this is a caveat to uh, previous conversations we've had. And something I realized hilariously mm-hmm. is for our two cities that we support the teams from, mm-hmm. me, Dallas, and you, uh, Cleveland, mm-hmm. the only team that has done well in both of those cities and has won their respective championships, like in our sports watching lifetime, has been the basketball team. It's just a sport we don't watch. Right. It's like getting punched in the face by the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Okay, let's keep bitching. (laughs) So it's just a a real problem for baseball. And I think that, you know, whatever they decide, they need to get past it and just play. Because if they can get, they want it to at least be a shortened team, 100 to 112 games, I'm told, within, you know, from July, August, September. That's still quite a few games in, in a short period of time. Okay, so the Olympics have been pushed back till next year. Uh-huh. And, you know, pre-pandemic, I was really looking, you know, I it don't get me wrong, I enjoy professional, professional sports. Mm-hmm. But the way I think one of our, you know, we were having a discussion, and this was during an Olympic year, about what was a sport and what was not. And the way the guy... Uh, one of the older guys, kind of the old, one of the wise old men around the office, described it. He was like, look, most of the things you guys talk about, like baseball and football and, and that kind of stuff, those are games. The stuff in the Olympics, that's a sport. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of agree with him. Like, I, like, the Olympics is it for me. Like, if I could just watch the Olympics... I'd be happy. So, but we have to wait a whole new, a whole another year, and that's also going to cram. So that means we get two Olympic years in a row, though, because mm-hmm. you have the summer games and then the winter games right after that. Right. Where are the winter games? The next uh, one. Hey. 
Oh, Beijing. Yeah. Okay. They had all the families at the end of the last Winter Olympics. That was in Japan, right? Yeah. And so they had this, you know, they have promos for the next Olympics and they had a whole bunch of uh, Chinese, like a collage of different Chinese families saying, you know, welcome to China or welcome to Beijing, that kind of thing, which was hilarious because a whole ton of those families had more than one kid. <laughs> well, <laughs> or two kids. The last Winter Olympics were in, weren't they in Sochi? Oh, it was Russia, right? I thought so. Yeah, yeah, they were. So then Beijing gets winter. South Korea comes in here somewhere, doesn't it? In the next coming years? Melanchang 2018? Okay. Oh, no. So, okay, the last one was in South Korea. Right. And then before that was Sochi. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember there being a... Didn't they all walk in, the North Koreans and the South Koreans walk in under, like, a Korean flag? I think so. Yeah. That's what I remember. But, you know, the, the thing that this, this quarantine, this COVID-19 and quarantine has taught us, though, is that as much as the professional sports are a game, they do play an, an integral part here in the United States because it's how we escape. It's generally how we escape for as little, po- uh, as, little as possible, just by by having television. Yeah. And, so, and it gives us something to talk about other than things that really, really piss us off. <laughs> yes. Let's turn away from the news for 10 minutes. <laughs> because... Because right. <laughs> you don't need it. Okay. So, yeah. So, the, and, and to that point, instead of the word escape, I'm going to read a Tolkien quote because it was in a webcomic I read earlier because escape. <laughs> <laughs> but the quote is, uh, why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home? Or if when he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls. The outside, the world outside has not become less real because the prisoner cannot see it. In using escape in this way, the critics have chosen the wrong word. And what is more, they are confusing, not always by sincere error, the escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter. So what he's saying is, you know, when we use words like escape, there's there can be a, to describe this kind of stuff, like there's a negative connotation, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you're escaping your your responsibilities. You're, you know, escaping into fantasy. Or, but the reality is it, it's, you're not escaping. You're just, I want to talk about something else for a while. Right, right. <laughs> you know? you're, you're mentally relaxing yourself. You're mentally conditioning yourself to, to be healthier for, for a few minutes before you have to deal with the reality. <laughs> Although the reality is, like, some people take sports to a level where it then becomes a stressor in, in and of itself. Or religion, which is even scarier. True. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's... Was it? Uh, oh, I don't remember the what the writer was. I think it was Thomas Aquinas, probably, who said something like, "Leisure is what builds culture." So, as long as you keep the the sports in the leisure category, I think you're going to you're going to do fine. <laughs> right, right, and I think people get upset because they're they're looking to their sports team to bring them the relief and feeling some amount of success or victory in their life. You know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, this is the thing that's supposed to make me happy. This is the thing. So stop making me unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> Quit losing. And so in that vein, watching these losing bunch of losers lose while making millions of dollars is just a, it's a way to piss people right the f- off. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, I've definitely, I mean, I, I still get angry when like, you know, the Indians or the Browns lose, but I've gotten so 
years to it now. I just, I'm just happy that I'm there to enjoy watching the sport because now that I'm older, I can analyze the sport and in my brain strategize and go, okay, this is what was supposed to work, or this is what this person is doing and how they advancing or digressing, you know, as as a sports player, you know. Yeah, and this is this is how much the umpires are killing the game. Oh come on! Right. What the hell? Are you blind? Right. <laughs> so as much as it might make me unhappy, I've learned to find a way that still enjoy the sports, the game, you know? Yeah. Okay. So pretty much uh the only thing that seems to have come back so far has been auto racing. So NASCAR's restarted. Yep, and um a little bit of golf that that's already scheduled to come back and they are 90% agreed on what they're going to do with basketball. It looks like tennis is either moved into the winter. And the funniest part is these are all sports that have the least viewership. Yes, and lowest pay. <laughs> and lowest pay amongst all the, the, the major sports that are actually watched in the U.S. <laughs> and then NCAA, um, still a question mark. Although football is still very much scheduled for the fall. Both NFL and NCAA. So. Well, NCAA football is not going to get canceled until like the very last minute where they're like, well, there's just no possible way. Yeah, <laughs> and I just don't think that's going to happen, honestly. Right. I think by the time we're there, <laughs> by the time we're there, like every – I just <sighs> – For those that really buy into the Title IX stuff, they too are also rooting for football because they know if football doesn't happen, it's just going to mean disaster for a lot of college sports. Well, it's a whole program, right? Because sports, sports kind of runs on a separate track, money wise, in comparison to the rest of the university. Because you can't, you can't have cross contamination between the money giving effectively, right. and so like the academic and the sports side aren't really supposed to touch so much. And, the- and so sports is kind of run either by ticket sales and or like donations. And guess what? And the greatest contributor for sports is football. It's football, yeah. Both in both those arenas, both for ticket sales and for donations. Mm-hmm. Although it took a big, a big blow last year, or the year before, they made a ruling basically that says if you donate to the institution, the, even the sports portion of the institution, you can't get tickets. Oh. Or if you get tickets as part of that donation, it no longer counts as a charitable donation because you got something in, in exchange for money. That's right. Which. For the vast majority of charities, when that kind of thing happens, like you give money and they give you stuff, mm-hmm. what they do is they send a letter and they say, this is how much the stuff was worth. And then you subtract that from what your donation was. And that's your portion that counts for charitable giving. Right. But I think the ruling they made was basically if you got tickets, they co- they were the cost of them was the entirety of your donation, whether it was a million dollars or like 10000 Right. So that pissed off a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> That's how a lot of people were getting their tickets. <laughs> yeah. But in the same token, weren't they paying? Well, I mean, I suppose they were paying more than what the season tickets actually cost. But in that same token, it was like, you're just buying season tickets. I'll grant you, you're, you're overpaying for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you know, you're still buying the ticket and calling it a donation. Yep. So I guess the, the point of that, too, is you can write it off as a tax break. Right. Because yeah, I think if people had known that that was going to go the way it did, mm-hmm. it wasn't a ruling. That was part of the new tax law that passed. Uh, what was it, two years ago now? Yeah, it was two years ago now. So it was the one that went into effect for 2019. Hmm. It was part of that law. 
And so I think a lot of people, if they had realized that, they would have done their charitable giving slightly differently. <laughs> so this kind of leads into something else we can talk about as far as college football and looking ahead to the future is the ruling that college football players can now get paid for endorsement. And the, the one thing I'll say, you know, not whether it's good or bad, but basically this, that this came about essentially because of the NCAA greediness, because of how much money the NCAA makes and how much they have tried to control the the players. They magnified what they've done wrong this whole time, which is essentially exploiting young people by saying, no, you can't play to play football, but, but thank you for all the millions of dollars that you're they're, that we're getting from you, from jersey sales, from your likeness, you know, autographs and all these things that you do that aren't football related, but these colleges make you do. Yeah, it, it kind of harkens back. I remember uh, Johnny Football at A&M in mm-hmm. um, kind of the height of his you know, fame or celebrity. Mm-hmm. While he was at A&M, there was like a three-hour signing stuff session mm-hmm. where, you know, he sat down and he signed stuff that people brought to him to sign. Mm-hmm. And coming out of that, there were all these claims that he got paid to do those signatures, mm-hmm. right? And I think it turned out he didn't. But there were, you know, there were all kinds of claims. Oh, he got paid for his time or he got paid for the signature, da, da, da. And in my mind, I was like, so bleeping what? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he's a good football player. He's His signature is like his. He should be able to sell it if he feels like it. Like, I, like I, yeah, you're hamstringing these kids. Right. You're telling them, dance monkey, dance for me because you're, you're a good football player, you know? <laughs> and you, you don't get to profit on it, but we get to profit on you. Right. And, you know, the, the argument, oh, these kids get, you know, free scholarship. I go, the money that you've made off these kids vastly, vastly outweighs the money that you just handed them in an education. And you don't even care if they get hurt. If they end up getting hurt, you throw them off to the wayside. They don't get to finish their education. They'll take the scholarship away because the scholarship was there for them to play football. And they're not playing football. So there goes the scholarship. They don't get education. Their body is broke. And they're out on their ass. Say they even go through the whole program. And they don't go to the NFL. You better hope that they that they got an education that you didn't force them to play football so much that they couldn't graduate. Right. In general, from what I understand, for people who don't go on to the NFL, if they're going to actually get a degree that they can use, a lot of times they they have to stay in school another three to four years after the football, mm-hmm. you know, after their eligibility ends. Right. So that they can get a worthwhile degree. Because I knew I knew at least one guy who walked on A and M who was third or fourth string as a lineman and he was in engineering and he eventually walked off the team because he wanted to graduate and there was just no way to do it given the practice schedule and the, the amount of time you got to spend learning the plays and, and all of that. It's just too much time. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be similar to, to working a full-time job and being a full-time student. And the reality is you can't, you, you really can't do both. Right. Or you can, if you're doing it, you're either insane or I'm in a really tight spot. <laughs> what movie was that from? Gee, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, I, I've not really seen it. It looked good. Are you kidding me? No, no, I haven't. Oh, no, you need to see it. Like, I, I think I listened to that soundtrack for like four years after that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just stayed in my truck CD player. But I like bluegrass, so. But yeah, so this whole, you know, the NCAA is going to morph into this thing that's going to be really interesting to see how it morphs into. 
because of how much money that they made off of the backs of these kids. So here's my question. Like, what, what does this allow the kids to do? Basically do, like, Nike commercials or... So, like, say at, at A&M, the kids can do commercials for Lane or Freebirds or, you know, something like that. You know, or a local car commercial and get paid for it. Gotcha. Okay. So they can do advertising mm-hmm. effectively. Yes. Okay. Or, you know, get paid for their, like, not, not from the schools, per se, but from an outside entity. Because the schools will never let them, you know, pay them for that. Well, yeah, because I thought that was part of the problem, was that if they allowed allowed other people to pay the kids for their likeness, then it was going to come up like, well, why, why doesn't the school have to do it? And then you'd have players, like, basically suing the school, going, you're, you're undercutting me for how much my likeness is worth. And that would open a can of worms that is just not going to be fun for anybody. <laughs> well, this, again, exemplifies the problem the NCAA has, is that they're doing this to help placate and hold off that argument, because this is how bad of a monster the NCAA has, has turned themselves into. That, okay, well, we're going to let you go ahead and do outside endorsements, and that should make you happy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. I mean, I've more or less been in favor of paying players for a while now, just because, you know... I think they should be. Well, I mean, especially since, like I said, how much money that is made off of them. I mean, if it was enough to just keep the programs running, that would be one thing. But uh, a lot of these colleges like Alabama, Clemson, A&M, LSU, they have a following that rivals some NFL team. Oh, Alabama, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, Alabama and LSU. And for a while, there's UF, University of Florida. Yeah. I mean, Texas, Texas, Ohio State. Ohio State. And that's because a lot of these universities, their brand covers over the markets of two, maybe three NFL teams. A Bengals fan and a, and a Browns fan, could, they could both be an Ohio State fan. Yeah. A Cowboys fan and a Texans fan could be an A&M fan. Yeah. My understanding is NCAA is a, non, is it a non-profit or not for-profit? Or is there any difference anymore? Yeah. Either way, it's it's not a profit making institution. So the the money they make over their operating costs, what does that go into? I guess that goes into budget for next year. You would assume, but I mean, here's the thing. I mean, there are all sorts of ways of giving people money that's supposed to be for nonprofit and disguising it as it's well, it's not that we're giving them a profit. We're giving them this for doing this. Yeah. No. I know. I know. Trust me. <laughs> we've already, I think we've had two two podcasts about that right. so far. Right. <laughs> but I think that to to one of our earlier points from this piece of the discussion is the other programs benefit from this. Right. 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 The entirety of the athletic department benefits from how well football does. Right. To what degree do they benefit? That's always, you know, up for debate because those universities could be like, well, you know, we don't really, we have to give you money. So this is what we're going to give you. And I'm sure that might happen some places, but right. I think it, just at A&M while I was there mm-hmm. watching just all the all all of the facilities being upgraded across the board. Like the new equestrian facilities, the new tennis complex, the new baseball field, the new softball field. The only thing that didn't get upgraded while I was there was Reed Arena, which was basketball. But that had been built like five years before I got there. So like (laughs) – and then they started on the football field. Or they were doing the football field while I was there because they built the zone right before I showed up. And then they did the north end. And so – but that was football. But, uh, you know, we we had the rec center with the pool. That was what – three years before I showed up. So 
it's system at least at most of the good colleges like it's system wide like it it's a huge boon for the both the students and the student athletes right couldn't it also be because they got so much donations for people expecting football tickets They're like well we got to use these donations for something yeah <laughs> i'm not saying that's a bad thing though <laughs> no not necessarily like it helps all the sports right potentially yes right so that's why the title nine people want football to do well right <laughs> because they want money for all their sports to circle around to the beginning point <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> let's bring this all the way back around folks <laughs> So this is pretty much how all of our BSing uh, sessions go. <laughs> Somehow stumble drunkenly back to our original point. <laughs> how did we get back here? <laughs> yeah, how did I even? How did I even get here? Oh man, well, that's where I fell and slipped in my own vomit. <laughs> <laughs> To non-sports related stuff, big weekend for space history. Huge weekend. Huge, Huge weekend. Bigly. Because <laughs> he was there. <laughs> yeah, SpaceX successfully launched uh, Crew Dragon demo number two, which had two NASA astronauts on board. Not only did it successfully launch and everything worked according to plan, yep. they docked with the International Space Station. So for the very first time, two astronauts have docked with the International Space Station and transferred to the International Space Station via a privately built rocket ship and capsule. Yep. And that's um, launching from U.S. soil, mm-hmm. all of it U.S. built. By U.S. astronauts. And not even just U.S. built, but the company itself made 90% of the components in everything that was launched. Yep. And the main stage successfully landed on the drone ship when it came back down. Yep. It's a drone ship called I Still Love You. Yep. You think? <laughs> yep. Of course I still love you. Of course I still love you. That's, that's, right. that's the name of the drone ship. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was, a, that was pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, I gotta admit, and it was nice that it was able to go off uh, right on time. This time, uh, it was supposed to have launched last Wednesday. Yes, and due to weather, it wasn't able to go. Which is a good point to actually we can actually talk about that real quick. So one of the things people had asked me and I'd heard is like, oh, why did they set it up as an instantaneous launch? And it was it wasn't because they just arbitrarily said that. The point of the launch was to intercept the International Space Station that's traveling at such such a speed. Now, the rocket itself is designed to be incredibly efficient. So in order to be the most efficient as possible, it's designed to only carry so much fuel, part of the weight-to-thrust ratio and all that kind of stuff, which you as an engineer can definitely talk about more here in a second. Yeah, so it, everything about getting on the Earth is, is impulse. And so, yeah, it's not as much about how fast you can go as how much you can lift with how little fuel you can burn in that lift right. and get it into, into orbit. But when you're doing an intercept, so the thing is, when you're attempting to get into a particular orbital plane... And when I talk about orbital plane, a lot of people think that just means like height over the earth. And that's not the only thing it means. (laughs) Like that's part of it. Like there's a certain distance away from the surface of the earth you are. Yes. But there's also what your trajectory around the earth is 
what sort of spin you have in comparison to the earth, like how, how your trajectory is changing over time. Cause like, so that's the, that's the thing about geosynchronous orbit. Like these things are always in the same spot above the same spot in the earth. Mm-hmm. Most things aren't in that because most things don't want to be in that. And the geosynchronous stuff has to self-correct constantly to keep itself in that orbit. The International Space Station is not in geosynchronous orbit. So what part of the earth it's over at any given moment changes rapidly because <laughs> it's moving at a ridiculous pace because it has to move at a certain speed relative to its distance from the earth in order to maintain an orbit because otherwise the orbit will degrade or uh, anterograde in which case it'll spin off into space so you have to launch the rocket and it's got to be able to get its payload up to the right speed for the orbital plane or orbital plane it's got to be able to get to the you know the right distance from the earth it's got to be able to to sync up with the correct path. And then, you know, once you're in kind of that realm, then it's a it's a matter of closing the distance and matching speed with the object you're trying to get to. Well, if you if you time all that wrong, it becomes a ridiculously amount of fuel to use to get into the right plane at the right time at the right speed. So the timing is extremely important. It's the similar problem of, you know, if we're going to launch to the moon or if we're going to launch to another planet, why there's only certain windows of opportunity. Because if you don't go in those windows because of how far apart things get when they're moving around the sun or in the case of the moon around the earth, it can be prohibitively expensive fuel wise. Right. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Now, granted, I had my orbital mechanics class at like eight in the morning, one of my senior years with a a guy whose first language was Greek, literally. (laughs) (laughs) But it was it was one of my more fun aerospace classes. Hilariously, although I really enjoy rocketry, my propulsion class was probably my least favorite class. That guy was a jerk. (laughs) I'll I'll add to that that the weather over the launch site isn't the only weather that they had to consider. They also had to consider what's called downrange. That meaning that as the rocket goes up in the direction that it's going, they have to watch the weather all along that path along the surface because if something bad happens, they have to try to recover the spacecraft. And that they don't want to run the risk that it comes down in the middle of a torrential storm in the middle of the ocean and they have to try to fish these guys out of the water. Because something <laughs> you have to remember is like, just because the you're, you're, the the rocket is not going like straight up, right? <laughs> like so, if you're standing on a a train and you're holding a baseball and you throw the baseball away from the train, like the baseball keeps moving forward, like it's not moving forward as fast as the train is anymore, but it keeps moving forward. And so that the when the lock, the rocket launches off of the Earth. It doesn't have the inherent spin that the Earth has around its own axis, nor the necessarily the spin that it has, rotation it has around the sun, but it still has the vestiges of those forces acting on it. So it it's moving in space, not just away from where the, the end of the rocket is, but it also has those other forces acting on it at all times. It's something a lot of people don't realize because it doesn't feel like you're moving. Like you're moving at a ridiculous speed right now. Like even if you're not moving. (laughs) Because the earth is spinning on its own axis at a pretty fast pace. Like if fast enough you were to suddenly stop it, everybody would die. (laughs) That's how fast. Like you'd smash into something. Or if you're outside, something would smash into you. Or both. 
And it's also, the earth is also traveling around the sun at a ridiculous speed. And the sun is also traveling around the the center of our galaxy at a ridiculous speed. (laughs) And the galaxy is moving away from the center, you know, where the Big Bang happened 13.9 billion years ago or however long we think it is now at a ridiculous speed like you're moving <laughs> you're, but your body's used to it like it it's it's grown up in this environment of like extreme motion and then you know you add a couple g forces on top of it <laughs> right <laughs> like rocketry is difficult because you have to take all of this crap into consideration <laughs> right for anybody that watched it, you know what i'll be talking about here in a second for those that didn't was that they did a final weather check around i want to say 27 t minus 27 minutes 27 minutes before when it was scheduled to lift off on Wednesday. And you could actually hear Mission Control talking to the weather officer. And he goes, well, if you can give me 10 more minutes, we'd be fine. Uh, we'll be fine, I think. And, you know, and he chuckled when he said that because he knew that it was ridiculous. He knew that the launch window was instantaneous. That's just how this thing worked out. That 10 minutes was the difference between being able to launch it on the first try and, and launching it on Saturday. Yeah, because their, their abort zone was all the way up uh, through the Carolinas. Basically ended in Ireland. Yeah, so all the way from basically Iceland to Ireland. Went all the way up to like Canada and then over to Ireland. Yeah, with a wide space in there where you couldn't abort <laughs> because you didn't have anywhere to land. Or you you weren't going to be close enough then anyone because we could get you yeah the, like it, yes on a map the Atlantic looks smaller than the Pacific it doesn't mean the Atlantic Ocean is a small ocean <laughs> <laughs> it's still a big ass place <laughs> to find a tiny little capsule <laughs> yes yes so there were some things that had to be considered for why they had to why it was an instantaneous launch and why they couldn't do it when they originally wanted to. I will say this, that what was cool about watching this is that if anybody remembers the, the original space shuttle and subsequent rocketry before that, that the inside cockpit had all these knobs and switches, and it was like 10,000 things that you had to push to get anything done, whereas the SpaceX Crew Dragon has four touchscreens and one row of buttons. Yes. It was extremely simple looking in <laughs> comparison, which... It's not more simple, which is the hilarious part, right? Right. <laughs> it's vastly more complex. <laughs> but it's easier for the crew to use. And that being said, too, it's almost the system's designed to both be done manually and be completely autonomous. So, And that was part of the experiment in docking is about, well, they were about 20 kilometers from the space station and they did a burn and then they tested the manual flight system. Uh, while they were, you know, trying to get in position to dock with the station. And the astronaut dug something or other. <laughs> he was the, the pilot. He, uh, he said that it went just like it did in the simulation, that the, uh, I think it was the Y-axis, he said, was a little sluggish, but that it was exactly how they, they thought, how it went before, and that, you know, obviously they didn't have a problem using it. Yeah. It was really interesting to see how condensed, they were able to, to fit everything and make more space and more utility and still be able to come up with a, a good uh, capsule design. And I'm wondering how much of it was, um, and I'm not trying to diss the astronauts mm-hmm. at all because they're, you know, highly trained professionals and they know how to do all this stuff. But like how much of it was just them sitting back, letting, 
you know, the robots do the job. For the launch, I think it was all of it. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's always true for the launch. Like, <laughs> the only thing you're you're going to do as, as, as an astronaut is push the abort button. Right. And as far as the docking, <laughs> yeah, it was, I want to say it was like 90 to 100% the, uh, the automated system. So that's kind of interesting, right? Like, that's, that's a huge step towards... Um, commercial space flight mm-hmm. because that is effectively how most of our airplanes run. And again, not dissing the pilots, they're all highly trained individuals, but the the planes for a lot of their what they do, it's more or less autopilot that's doing the work. I want to say most of them still do manual landings, but I'm not absolutely certain about that anymore because I know Airbus was pushing automatic landing pretty hard, but it also backfired pretty hard in their face. So <laughs> if you want to see some absolutely terrible and the reason i call it terrible is yeah some terrible footage you can look up airbus like landing crashes one of them is super terrible because it almost always makes you want to laugh oh, yeah. because of how ridiculous it is but like you have to realize like four people die right <laughs> and then you feel terrible because you laughed this is the one thing you can definitely say about this whole process going with crew dragon was that it didn't have any of the casualties like the Apollo or Gemini programs did. Everything was done without people in it up until this point. Right. Uh, when they did the on-pad abort you know, uh, testing and all that, there were no actual people inside those capsules. And everything still went off with about, I want to say 95% of everything went off without itch. I remember they were trying one of their abort tests and there was an explosion on the pad, which, you know, thank God there was nobody on board so this thing went up with the astronauts in the capsule the first time and nothing bad happened <laughs> yep and again done by a private company with nasa overview and the two astronauts they were at uh, they are at nasa astronauts they've, they've flown on space shuttle missions before yeah i want to say at least one of them was on the final space shuttle mission i want to say it was Doug. it was both of the, or was it both of them or was it just doug i want to say it was just Doug. okay but they've both been on the same space shuttle Okay. That was a pretty big, pretty big step up there. So now, the next big moment is going to be in four months when these guys come back to Earth. Yep. Now that being said, there, uh, I believe I heard them say that they're already planning another crew mission in like a month. SpaceX is. Yeah. What's the purpose? I don't. I just remember hearing it on the the live feed that they were saying that like they either got one planned or they're going to start training in like a month. Huh. Okay. Yeah, they're really trying to try to ramp up this whole thing and i gotta say if you're uh an executive over at boeing you gotta be a little nervous here because they really haven't made any progress from what i could tell towards their end of things (laughs) maybe they're just like eh yeah (laughs) yeah we give up (laughs) (laughs) because the progress that spacex has made is at least got them not only the cargo missions and these crews to the international space station but They've now secured the contract to develop the rocket that will take astronauts from the lunar space station down to the lunar service and back. So the the lunar gateway, I believe, is what they're calling it. Lunar gateway. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good name for it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, folks. This has been another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. If you want to check out our website, patandthefatman.com, or support us, you can head over to Patreon. And uh, type in patthefatman.com or you can get there from uh, there's a support us or become a patron button on our website. So become a fan or a huge fan or a really big fan. We'd appreciate it. We love our fans. 
So uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Pat. I'm the fat man. Stay classy. May the force be with you. Marge Simpson, your son is in detention. Marge Simpson, your son is in detention. Marge Simpson, your older, fatter, balder son is also in detention. <laughs> <laughs> we are out of port. <laughs> we are out of port. Oh, I wish I could just be thrown in a hole and never be seen again. All right, throw her in the hole. <laughs> oh, it's just an expression. <laughs>